0: hey guys
1: what's up it is week 256 and before we start this i want to address something um my secret top 10 episode 4 uh, is out this sunday probably the sunday before you see this video these usually post wednesday and uh it was seb godin um independent film director from canada and we were talking. Th- these are recorded uh, a few weeks in advance, probably months sometimes before you guys will see them. So remember that. And uh, we started just talking about direct to video Bruce Willis movies and making some jokes of them and everything like that, as I, I typically did. Because Bruce Willis, you know, growing up was one of my all time favorite actors. I just thought he all time favorite growing up that makes sense. But he was one of my favorite actors. I, I love Bruce Willis movies from Die Hard to Hudson Hawk. I was a big fan. So you know, in like post 2008 or something, a lot of his movies just seemed really crummy. And he didn't seem to give a shit. Um, that obviously wasn't what was happening. He, I mean, I don't know what to extend or anything, but he obviously has some mental problems with remembering his speech patterns and everything. So when we were making fun of Bruce Willis for his direct-to-video movies, I, and I've always said, hey, if he wants to make money, cool. Well, I'm just not going to watch the movies. Take it with a grain of salt because we didn't know about his diagnosis. And it obviously seems pretty callous now. And maybe before it did too. Anyways, uh, yeah, I won't be making fun of Bruce Willis directed DVD movies anymore uh, due to the circumstances. Had no idea. Uh, always enjoyed him. His early career is one of my favorites, so that's why it was always kind of a question mark. Uh, we always everyone just assumed he didn't care. Even the you know the the Sylvester Stallone quote, he's greedy, and he's lazy. Obviously, there was a little bit more that meets the eye there. Uh, so, anyways, just keep that uh, in your in your mind when you watch that, and then we kind of. Make fun of uh, the direct-to-video Bruce Willis movies. We did not know about his, uh, you know, his um, health problems and everything like that. So uh, I don't know when this is going to post. I might post it a little early. Usually they they go for the Patreon Saturday or Sunday, and then live for everybody Wednesday. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to, if I'm going to wait a little bit after Wasteland to record, or I'll record on that Thursday night before Wasteland for my next weekly video, so if you guys are going to Cinema Wasteland, uh, say hi to me, uh, whatever, we can chat about movies, or just hang out, if you get me uh, late Saturday or Sunday, I'll probably be brain drained, so if I'm a little lethargic and say uh-huh, uh-huh, it's just that I'm exhausted. Don't take any offense to it, but uh, you catch me Friday. I'll be hype. I'll be excited. I'm an old man though, so I get tired real easy. Uh, but yeah, say hi to me. Hang out. Whatever you guys want to do. Talk about movies. That'd be awesome. So yeah, and uh, the hall won't be as big this week or, or next. Uh, I, it should be the Cinema Wasteland Hall. Oh, I think I'll go with that. But uh, let's hop into the movies. First up, we're going to finish up the Lies and Deceit box set uh, by uh, Char Shalbral. These are five movies made in the late 80s, early 90s. And this final one is going to be Torment from 1994. And again... This one is quality like the rest of the box set, and I am happy to see the box set kind of, end. it always feels good to end the box set, even if I enjoyed every film in the set. So this one was probably the most aggravating, and I mean aggravating in a positive way, because some movies can be aggravating because they're not doing what you think they should do, or they're just not, you know, (sighs) there's something missing. That's not what it is here. This movie is executed really well, and it really gets kind of its message across, I believe. So essentially what we have here is a couple that run this kind of, it's like a, uh, I don't want to say like, it's not a bed and breakfast, it's much bigger than that. It's more of a hotel deal, but it's, it's a little bit more personable, a little bit nicer, kind of high-end deal. And people will go there for like months on end for vacation, and they, this, a lot of regular people go there. So in the very beginning of the film, we see uh, this this guy and meet this woman, and it, it, we see their entire relationship kind of, uh, this slice of life from this period of time. So at first we see him building the, the hotel and them fight, meeting, and then, of course, they get married, they have a kid, they go through the life, and, and as the movie starts, it seems okay. He seems a little distant. He's very stressed. He seems to have like trouble sleeping and all these kind of things. They start off small. As the film progresses, he becomes this completely jealous um, He's starting to have delusions that she's cheating on him, that she's she's lying to him, that she's running away, and and it just goes on and on and on. And I don't want to spoil anything, but about halfway through this movie, I was had so much deep seated hate for this character. But you could understand, like, if you get caught up in that paranoia, in that uh, untrustfulness. Um, but by the end of it, it got so out of line that. Um the inner monologue that he has started to kind of i started to think it was possibly schizophrenia um at this point and and it really felt like that uh and it it's an aggravating set- of, it's aggravating to watch this beautiful this beautiful person be kind of tortured by her husband and, and at first a husband is not unlikable, and, and at times you see him like, oh, well, that seems a little odd, but she's just more of a flirtatious, joyous person than him. He has a lot of stress in his life, and, and at first times you you start to side with him only in the very beginning that she's out doing stuff and having fun while he's kind of working, yada yadda, but that's not really even why he's losing his touch on reality and everything like that. It's just a pure jealousy, and and it just goes on and on and on, and it just it becomes really aggravating. The movie shot beautifully, Um, It's acted uh, really well, especially by the two leads, but there's a lot of side characters in here too. and You can watch this kind of obsessive nature and this illness this guy has just destroy his life around him from his own health, from his marriage to his regular guests that come. They all basically leave him. Um, It's just a really screwed up kind of uh, situation. Uh, Like The location's beautiful, the the hotel, of course, but then they're on a lake, so that's all excellent. The small town that they visit for is also nice. But uh, as far as the special features are concerned, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, we have, um, okay, okay, uh, brand new audio commentary by film critics Alexander Heller Nicholas and Josh Nelson on Henrique-Georges-Clazeau, an archival interview with Claude Charbro in which he talks about fellow director, uh, the director of La, La Les Baliks, whose original attempt to make La Fur was abandoned, and how the project came to Charbro. Interview with uh, Marin Karmitz, an archival introduction with Maren Karmitz, Charbrough's producer from 85 onward. Archival introduction by film scholar Joel Magny, and select scene commentaries by uh, Claude himself. So, yeah, the movie is just kind of one of those things, um, and it seems like quite a bit of this is based on a lot of other source material, and like I said, um, they really just come together really well. Um, I have no problems with movies based off books; they tend to be pretty good for the most part, um, unless you get Stephen King in there. His opinion on some of the stuff, you know, and it's a little different with horror novels. But a lot of these ones, uh, they, they're really. Um, really good um, like I said I don't have as much to say as I should about torment but uh, if you want to see how screwed up like a situation like this can be for somebody especially the woman in here and uh, like at one point I believe there is a setup to kind of capture him due to this 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 kind of this sick paranoia he has and everything but uh, it doesn't go quite as planned but um, yeah the lies and deceit box set if you're into kind of like thrillers and dark dramas then this is a great set to have um, if you really want to be kind of depressed for a while then check it out kind of a look at a lot of different things in here and I've enjoyed all four of them um, if I had to rank them it's it's very hard I, I put them all around like the same level of quality you know seven and a half to eight, eight, eight uh, movies they're all very good no real complaints um, and they're all well made like I said they all look spectacular they're all highly professional well acted movies so no real knocks on the, on the set there although I think Torment and Betty Probably have the most to say, if that makes any sense. Um, But I think that the two cop... Uh, movies are probably the most uh, easy to access for people. So yeah. Anyways, that's Lies and Deceit, five films by Claude Chabrol. And now I know Arrow has another set coming out too with four films that look more like thrillers by Claude Chabrol. So Charbrot, which I should check out as well. So hopefully, look forward to those. Okay, this next one from Arrow Films is a really interesting one. It is To Sleep So as to Dream. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a difficult one to kind of talk about. And uh, talk about as a whole. So, first off, it's a black and white film. It's made to look like kind of a film noir. uh, It's filmed in a film noir style and also it's silent. So, it's a silent and it's also in film noir style. It's made in the eighties though it's black and white uh and yeah so it has all these weird elements in here and from the and you kind of can see like there's like obviously influences from classic cinema here and Japanese cinema as well so like a lot of it if you' i I didn't pick up on a lot of things I probably should have picked up on but uh so this is a story essentially uh, uh a woman hires these two private detectives to kind of search for a kidnapped daughter. um, And it leads them on this kind of wild chase. Uh, The ransoms constantly change. And literally they go to all these wild circumstances where they keep being led to another place and another place and, and it's just such a bizarre, weirdly surreal movie so, like you said, you have these mixes of film noir that are typical in here of course the silent film era stuff is also in here but then we definitely start to bleed mix reality with fantasy and by the end of it, you're thinking I don't know where we're going to go next with this one and also, it kind of feels like it's making a statement about cinema itself within the of their in the cinema Cinema and it's just a wild movie that it doesn't really. This it, it's kind of it's not beyond description. It's one of these movies where either t- just talking about it a- a- in a slight way, like in a quick way, would not really do it much justice. But to do it do to do it real justice, you really need to like dissect this movie and talk about it quite a bit. And uh, the first glance, like first watch, I was like, oh, that was interesting and different, and I was a little lost. I didn't grasp a lot of the things I should have grasped. I don't. Think, but I could uh, I could tell that it was something that was a little special and different. It, it's a well beloved movie. It has a lot of respect, and, and um, it's just like I said. It's shot w- wonderful visually. It's different and unique and bizarre, and I love all those kind of things about it, but um, I don't know how well it connected with me. This one would definitely probably take another watch um, as well. So as far as the special features are concerned, we have brand new audio commentary with Japanese film expert Tom Mez and Jasper Sharp. We also have a commentary with uh, with director Kazo Hayayashi and lead actor uh, Siro Sano, recorded in 2000. How many eggs? Actor Shiro Shano talks. A brand new interview with the film's lead actor. There's a there's kind of a, a thing with eggs that constantly pops up. Talking silence, Benshi, Midori Sawato talks, a brand new interview on early Japanese film culture and the art of Benshi, silent film commentator. Midori Asawada performs The Eternal Mystery, an exclusive Benshi performance to film within the film. And, like, there's a lot of these ninja characters and a lot of reoccurring kind of characters. The characters within the film are actually the kidnappers and they're always constantly changing their appearance in the bizarre ways. Um, The restoration of To Sleep So As To Dream featurette. Fragments from Japan's Lost Silent Heyday. A selection of scenes from Silent uh, Jinde Genki films from the uh, Kotoko um, Toy Museum Archives. An original theatrical trailer in English language restored re-release trailer we have some other things as well so the thing about a lot of Japanese films at, during World War II a lot of them were lost so the glimpses at the silent films are probably something that not many people did get to see and we there's not too many silent films from Japan so a lot of this is probably from the memory of the directors of the people seeing it who made this so it's, it's kind of cool to see it's almost like a love letter to a lot of lost films at the same time so yeah if you're into these kind of uh, strange Japanese films this is not something that is like the other strange Japanese films I'd be talking about this is the furthest away you can get from the direct-to-video gory movies I'm going to talk about later Um, it's a classy, unique movie that um, I don't want to say this in any negative way but film students would absolutely love this film, people that love their kind of art cinema would definitely get a kick out of uh, So Sleep so as to dream and I keep looking at the title because it definitely looks like something that I would have a tongue twister over so yeah uh interesting movie uh and it looks great on blu-ray um it's a very visually stunning movie obviously being a silent film they rely a lot on the visuals and everything like that so there's music and things like that too so yeah check it out it's a pretty interesting movie all right, now to follow up the the last classy picture, I got one that's even classier, and this is Charles Brand, the Charles Band's Crash from 1976-77. I believe it was originally made in 76. This is uh, released by Full Moon, but it originally wasn't a Full Moon movie. Uh, it is Charles Band's first film. You guys know Charles Band runs Full Moon. He was an Empire, uh, Wizard, all sorts of stuff. Charles Band, uh, you know, directed a lot of freaking movies. He runs Full Moon, so he's responsible for tons of tons of really cool movies that uh, came out when I was a kid. I had never seen his first film and I crashed just by appearance I was like I always thought this was just you know kind of like your standard 70s grindhouse exploitation crash movie and it is that, it is that, but it's a little bit more too, it's also a fucking possession movie, and it's 76 so this is a year before the car, which is kind of crazy, and this is a movie about a driverless car possessed by an ancient relic that this woman is possessing um, that she owns, that basically takes over and kills a lot of people that get in her way, Um, yeah, it's freaking weird, she's basically all wrapped up in kind of a classic style, you know right when you see the wrappings and stuff you're going to think Invisible Man, or Eyes Without a Face, although it is more in the eyes without a face, like, you know, the the post-surgery, you know, kind of lost her, like, uh, memory kind of amnesia thing, although Eyes Without a Face is more a surgery thing, but you guys get what I'm getting at, too, that's very kind of a classic trope of horror films, so essentially what happens here, Jose Ferreira, classic actor, uh, basically he has a young wife that he doesn't typically like, and um, she's always going out, he doesn't like it, he sends uh, his dog to kind of take care of her while she's driving, she has this traumatic accident, but she had also recently just purchased this weird I, I can't remember what the freaking thing is called. It's in its AKA name, um, whatever it is. Uh, let me find the damn thing. Uh, just, I, I can't think of its name. It's like one of these kind of ancient, weird, like God things, kind of like a Manitou or whatever the fuck they, you know, these movies. So, uh, or what is it? The Johnson, some weird little emblem thing she purchased this and essentially what it gives her is the power to kind of like possess things and control them. So like this car is going on and about when she has amnesia and just like causing havoc and like it'll cut back to all these elaborate police chases with cars chasing this empty car and crash in and it'll run people off the road and kill them like a slasher with a car. But its end goal is kind of to get Jose Ferreira. There's a doctor who takes uh, you know a liking in her and tries to help her out and figure out her memory of course. Um, Jose Ferreira somehow is involved with occult stuff as well so he's involved with this stuff and John Carradine has an appearance as I can't think he's like some sort of medical or, or you know occult kind of researcher as well kind of like the Burgess Meredith character in uh the Manitou I don't really keep bringing up the Manitou but uh, so that so that kind of deal Any, anyways yeah, John Carradine in here very, kind of small role always enjoy him being in a movie and uh, Jose Ferrer is decent but uh, the car crashes are pretty elaborate pretty crazy lots of explosions kind of ex- surprised at you know the, the Uh, the explosions and the actual car chases how much there were. There's a freaking lot of them. Uh, She has glowing red eyes when she's possessed. Uh, There's a funny scene with a wheelchair. Um, It looks really good. Like, I didn't know what to expect, you know, being an old film and everything. And The remaster looks really solid. The sounds pretty decent. No subtitles, unfortunately. I do like my subtitles. Should mention Reggie Nolder makes an appearance in here. Reggie Nolder's from Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, The Dead Don't Die. Freaking Mark of the Devil. He's Albino. Great character in that. And of course Salem's Lot, which I've never seen *Salem's* lot right that's crazy i know um but yeah so anyways this is a fun movie and, and the cover's a little bit different but this this quote on here is is kind of is kind of right mixes the gothic core of the 70s supernatural movie with the car chasing thrills of the southern fried car ch- chase flick Crash is one weird movie so the special features kind of had me giggling there's a there's a speed demon crash documentary on here um and i believe that's where david dakota the uh, director kind of um, he's interviewing um, it's it's a little bit longer it's a speed demon it's like kind of the extended trailers from Hell Deal whatever but David Dakota is like interviewing Charles Band and he's like I have a question he's like yeah yeah because they obviously are old friends you know he uh, David Dakota directed like Creepazoids and shit in 86 and Dream Maniac and I believe Charlie band had something to do with those producers. So he's like, okay. He's like, uh, crash. What the fuck? And he's like, Charles bands like, is that a question? And it was really, they kind of talk about it. They talk about it in the commentary as well. Um, and it's just, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's it's a fun movie. It's not perfect or anything like this. I've seen a lot worse first movies. But Charles Band's earlier stuff, I kind of dig. Um, you know, the Empire stuff, and even before that, of course. So this is an entertaining flick. If you like car chase movies, if you like possession movies, weird mixture. Kind of a cool mixture. A mixture I didn't think existed. But hell, here it is, Crash from 1976 from Full Moon Entertainment. Okay, everybody, get your pervert cards out. Alright, you got them out? So this one is from Pink Inga, and this is Blind Love from 2005, and the plot of this one is wild, so maybe I read the plot right off the back, because uh, I don't want to mix this up for everybody. A blind woman falls in love with a short ventriloquist just by listening to his voice. However, when she meets the ventriloquist, she mistakes him for the much taller assistant. What ensues is a quirky and touching story of mistaken identity and sexual awakening. Winner of the silver medal at the 2005 Pink Ango Awards, Blind Love is a must-see for any uh, Dksaku go-to. Uh, fan he directed a lonely cow weeps at dawn, which I probably will review eventually. So okay this one blind love Um, I like these kind of crazy Japanese movies like the pink Inga films or like their splatter films because they're like 30 Minutes to an hour and six minutes and they get straight to the point They don't really waste much time and when they do waste time. It's for a sex scene or a gore gag um Maybe my attention span's just getting worse in my old age, or maybe I've just seen too many long epic movies, um even though I love some really long epic movies um but anyways, blind love, so yeah, um the ventriloquist and the relationship we have like this three way. And there's a lot of comedy beats in this movie. Uh, the ventriloquist is just not very good. He's obviously struggling. And at the very beginning, like he has this routine where he's doing it in the park, like talking of doing the ventriloquist in the park, and he's always doing like tall jokes and everything like that. And there's literally somebody in the audience, like, and they're just watching. They they seem kind of into it. And then this baby starts crying, and then he's just like, obviously he's not doing well. And it cuts to him. he's like, I was doing really well until that baby started crying. It ruined my gag. Um, and, and just the idea in general that a blind woman falls in love with him because of his. His voice is just, it's just kind of a fun thing. She has no idea how good of a ventriloquist he is, really, because you know, but the assistant, he's he's complete kind of polar opposite of the main character here, because the assistant is very sexual, he's very kind of aggressive, and he just goes out and he sleeps with a lot of people, and he, he's not exactly a great guy. Although, nobody in this movie is exactly a perfect person, let's be honest. So, um, the thing is, the uh, blind woman actually is best friend with a prostitute, who's involved with, of course, you know, as um, uh, run-ins with the assistant, and the ventriloquist's ex-wife is also a prostitute. I, I can't remember if they're the same character. There's a lot of people having sex and mixing up things here, too. So, um, like, there's a, there's funny parts where you don't register she's a prostitute at first, and then she says, like, it's like, we used to be married, our marriage sucked, and then they have sex, and she's like, well, you can pay me now since we're not married and all this kind of stuff. But there's just a lot of good, funny gags in here um, involving that stuff. But it also has, like, some real perverse shit, of course, because like they said, she thinks the tall guy is the physical appearance of the ventriloquist while the short guy's voice. So they're basically taking her out on a date. They're sitting on each other's laps, moving about and everything like that. And then like when the facade starts to kind of crack, she starts to catch on and things change. And, um, of course they have a, se- uh, there's a sex scene and everything like that, which complicates everything. And, and it's just kind of a, a bizarre film. There's, there's this weird side character who frequents prostitutes that becomes kind of a, a player into and affects the major story, um, and everything like that. Um, it, I, I don't have all that much to say as far as like filmmaking techniques and details like that are concerned. It's kind of like the story that drove this thing forward, and obviously the sex stuff. There's, there's, it, it has it's lighthearted and, and like perverse and fun, all that kind of stuff. And as far as the pervert car is concerned, it's nothing. Kind of probably should have maybe used it for something later down the line. I don't know. Uh, I really don't think that it's that perverse. You know what I mean? There's nudity, of course, and there's sex and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't seem as I uh, I say as. Uh, perverse as some of the other titles that are put out by pink inga so I, I thought this one uh was it was fairly solid um the ending is pretty uh downbeat but also goofy and fits the weird tone of the film in general as far as the special features are concerned we have um featurette interview with the director interview with the cinematographer audio commentary japanese or english language option with director and cinematographer an intro and Q and A at the new york asian film festival from 2009 and some more um basically trailers and everything like that so yeah if this sounds like it's uh up your alley a strange coming of age uh story like that sexual awakening then check it out i enjoyed it myself um and it has some laughs has some sad moments has some weird zany goofy moments that i enjoy okay let's get the patreon pick uh done and that is from jason willard and he picked house of gucci Right, kind of a strange pick, but he picks a lot of the mainstream big movies sometimes, and I'm fine with that. So House of Gucci is definitely something that I probably wouldn't have watched on my own. Um, It is directed by Ridley Scott, who I've always enjoyed, and this I don't just have much interest in the Gucci family, but... uh, right when it started I was like oh this is pretty interesting pretty fun I do like uh, Lady Gaga and I, I really only can base it off you know *Stars Star Born which I enjoyed and I do like Adam Driver I think he's really good uh, and there's uh, some other people in this film that I, I like as well of course Jeremy Irons, Selma Hayek, uh, Al Pacino they're all solid in their roles as well uh, Jared Leto is also in here and he was taking a lot of slack for the over the top character he plays in Pablo um, so basically this is the story or it's probably loosely based on the story of the House of Gucci which I think they took the story off the real life, and it was based off the book, or something like that. So essentially, what we have here is we spread over the life of uh, Adam Driver's character, kind of a young man, all the way until you know his, his uh, the end of his life. So so that's where we kind of start and end the film. Um, we of course go to Lady Gaga's life; she's a big part of that. So he, he obviously doesn't want anything to do with the 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 kind of fashion and everything like that. And when he meets Lady Gaga, he falls in love with her. She comes from a different family that Jeremy Irons, uh, Adam Driver's doesn't think that should be married, disobeys his father, and he's kind of pushed out from the family for a while until Al Pacino, his uncle, brings him back in the fold, and we see him go from kind of uh, intelligent, quiet, um, uh, I don't want to say mild-mannered person to one of the tops of the Gucci family. So, yeah, it it's it structured a lot like, a I gotta say this, a mob epic by Martin Scorsese. Of course, not as good as Goodfellas or Casino or anything like that, but it's very much like that. We start younger, we meet him till this certain point, we have all these people going out of his life and and, and stuff like that. So, it's structured a lot like that. It's like if Ridley Scott directed kind of a lesser Martin Scorsese uh, script that he would do, um But it was uh, about the Gucci family. So, yeah. There's a lot of laughs in here. Uh, Like, um, of course, uh, Jared Leto. People were being real hard on his character. And it seems like a love or hate it kind of thing. I actually enjoyed his character. And I would compare it to something like Johnny Depp's character in Tusk. But, for some reason... I do not like that character in Tusk. I think it's totally out of the movie and it doesn't fit. But I feel like Pablo in this film fits. I don't know how to explain that, but he basically is like the dumb cousin. All his like he he wants to be an artist, a fashion guy, but he's not very good at what he does. He's very uh makes some really bad designs and all that kind of stuff. It leads to a lot of comedy. Um I'm pretty sure he's kind of like the walking quote machine from this movie. I like Pacino in it quite a bit. He's got a lot of good lines in here. He's got a lot of good moments. Um, uh, he has a, a, a good relationship with Jared Leto in this movie. I think that stuff's really strong. I honestly think probably Jeremy Irons is the most held back in his performance. I think that his voice is the most subtle. And I think that if you had to, uh, gun to head, who was the most realistic performance in the film, it would be Jeremy Irons. He's a great actor. And I, I think that, although I do kind of enjoy the big bombastic performances in a lot of ways, they are. Uh, Lady Gaga's, not, not like horrible interacting and she's such a she's such a crazy person she starts off like like you see her like be sweet and everything but like she like gets the sign of that money and the riches and everything and, and as she goes in she gets like kind of like gets more and more you know, want that kind of kind of deal but just how rich these people are is insane but uh it comes to a the ending here and yeah it's kind of what you expect i don't didn't know the story of gucci i knew that some people did die and i didn't know that much that's about it but uh yeah it has a lot of needle drops a lot it goes over the uh i think the 80s part has tons and tons of needle drops recognized a lot of the songs enjoyed them quite a bit so that's always fun you know i know like a lot of those mob movies that i enjoy have needle drops or quentin tarantino movies have needle drops and there's a lot here too heart of glass uh plays in here and other stuff that i did enjoy um so yeah it is definitely this big kind of you know know epic crime movie about a family you may or may not care about but it, it, it kept my interest that i enjoyed the damn thing to be honest um yeah this isn't going to be for everybody a lot of people be like, yeah but i ridley scott's a solid director of course come on not even solid he's a great director he doesn't all his movies aren't great of course not many directors have all great movies but from the director of alien and blade runner and um legend comes House of Gucci, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, uh, check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. I enjoyed it myself. Okay, let's get into another one here. And this one I wanted to watch before I popped in Transfers 4 and 5 from 94. They'll be on next week's. And this is Transfers 3. Death Lives when Jack Death of course Tim Thomberson, this is 1992 1993 or something like that this is actually directed by C. Uh, Courtney Joyner who also directed Lurking Fear from 94 two full moon movies I don't think he directed anything else he was a writer and I, I think he's the same C. Courtney Joyner that contributes to a lot of you know special features from Film Detective and a bunch of other things very smart guy loves uh, genre cinema so uh, basically yeah this one is the last appearance of Helen Hunt from *Transfers* 1 and 2 and a bunch of other things Tim Thomerson is in this one. Um, has a couple other people I recognize. It has Holt from Blood uh Blood Games. If you guys ever seen Blood Games Vinegar Syndrome put it out, there's this like it's a crazy, weird, like baseball, like Southern fried rape revenge kind of deal. Um well revenge title. And there's this goon called Holton there. He pops up in this one as one of the kind of trancers. So essentially Andrew Robinson is the main baddie in this movie. And Full Moon was pretty good about getting a, a kind of a established character actor as their main baddies. I believe part one. I don't remember off the top of my head it was a baddie, but number two had Richard Lynch, Jeffrey Combs was in there, a bunch of people were in there. So three we have Andrew Robinson, of course, from Dirty Harry. Hellraiser, Charlie Varick, tons and tons of movies. Child's Play 3? <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyways, what happens is uh, Jack Death is living in, like, I think a certain uh, normal, monitor. I can't remember what timeline Jack Death is in. Jack Death kills trancers. Trancers are evil weird zombie things that I don't remember what their end goal is, but they want to just ruin everything. They're bad guys. And there's, It's a time travel movie, so it's pretty complicated and weird in the timelines. So, somebody approaches Jack Death, um, this big robotic thing, actually played by the guy who was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is Leatherface R.A. Mealhall. I can't think of his fucking name. He's this big androided like fish dude called Shark. Pretty cool design. Pretty cool character. So uh, Stephen Mott and some other people send him back to grab Jack Death. to pull him in to send him to a a timeline in 2005 where they created these ultimate transfers which basically ruin the entire world. So it's essentially you know kind of like a Terminator rip in that style. So Jack Death has to go back to find these like um these baddies and Andrew Robinson is creating this perfect formula, or creating these super soldier transfers to, that are eventually wipe out the entire Earth. So it's pretty much up to him to kind of save the day. There's a really kind of like crazy moment where uh, uh, Tim Tomberson goes back and he finds Helen Hunt in that timeline. He had been gone for like 13 years and he was like, oh, that would be so screwed up. Anyways, uh, yeah, it's fun. I like Tim Tomberson. He's got decent one-liners. This movie has a lot of people getting shot, which is enjoyable. A lot of of action at the very end of the movie. Shark, like I said, the big android guy is really awesome. Um, Has a solid B-movie cast in here. Um, Yeah, it's a solid, fun movie. I, I I just don't know how much more to say about it. Um, Andrew Robinson, I said, is chewing the scenery. He always does, a, does that when, he, when he's, he's, he's supposed to, and it's a fun performance. Um, I think I prefer Transfers 2 a little bit, and 1 over this one, but it's definitely not bad. I, I've had a lot worse times, I'll tell you that. It's an enjoyable, fun, you know, sequel in the full moon kind of uh, series. I, I don't know how 4 and 5 are going to go, but we're going to check those out next week. As far as Transfers 3 is concerned, the pr- picture quality looked really good. I was impressed with the 5.1 surround sound. That actually Actually it came through uh, really well, and I think that full moon when they do the 5.1, they're le- very loud. They're, they're they're leveled right for at least in my system is concerned, and I it's always kind of uh, I think they do a really solid job with that. So yeah. Anyways, if you're into transfers, let me double check this at a 5.1, and I'm not mixing it up. Yeah, it definitely has a 5.1 because I remember like the time machine jump when Shark comes in was just like boom. I was like oh wow, it was super loud, it was effective, and loud doesn't always mean good, but it was just well done. So anyways, it is transfers three. Jack uh, Death Lives. Death lives. That's a very funny pun right there, right? Alright, this next batch of stuff is going to be really strange. So basically what I did was I went ahead and there was a lot of these kind of Japanese short films. Like these short kind of gore films, direct to video. Just weird movies that I've always wanted to watch. And uh, I I watched six of them. They all range in time from 35 minutes to about a a close to 55 minutes or somewhere around that line. 57 minutes. Um, So let's talk about the first one. This is from on earth films originally it's long out of print but this is mermaid in a manhole from i believe 88 is it 88 86 maybe 86 i think it's 86 um if i'm not mistaken let me double check on here i know they mentioned the times in the history thing the dates when they were made um they say 88 down here but um yeah 86 for he never dies 88 for mermaid in a manhole so okay here we go um, so I had seen the first two guinea pig films. I've seen Flower, Flesh, and Blood a long time ago, and I, I re-watched it not too long ago when we covered 85. I've seen The Devil's Experiment, and those are the first kind of two uh, guinea pig movies. They're more fake snuff films or fox snuff films in, in that kind of vein, right? And they're very in, in, influential in that genre. Um, then, like... Come later. I should do. He never dies first, but I'm not because this was the one I liked much better. So w- w- the guinea pig films had like more through the series, and not including the making ofs and the greatest hits and stuff like that. They had four more kind of films, and then kind of a, a loose one that some people consider Lucky Sky Diamond, I believe, which I've not watched yet. I will eventually. But uh so Mermaid in the Manhole was the one that always came up. That was always kind of the one that. People said, well, you know, if you don't love those first ones, Mermaid in the Manhole is completely different. You should give that one a try. And I, I don't dislike, you know, *Flowers, uh, Flesh and Blood. I do I enjoy it. I like its setup and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't dislike Devil's Experiment, but I don't have the fondness I had for Mermaid and for those that I, that I I don't have the fondness for those that I did for Mermaid in a manhole so this one's totally up my alley just a strange weird story and I feel like to me personally I, I get more out of it I see more things in it so we have uh, an artist um, kind of a long line of horror films involving an artist that uh, you know what I mean like we have Bucket of Blood of course we have Color Me Blood Red um, then of course we have all the wax sculpture kind of people so anyways there's an artist in a horror film you know it's not going to be great with the Tales in the Crip episode all that stuff Vault of Horror uh, segment of course Um, so what happens in uh, Mermaid in a manhole we have this guy whose wife left him he's a very lonely kind of artist does sketches and he kind of goes to this manhole what used to be a river that he used to frequent a lot as a kid where he said you know there's a good line in here where he says fishes, frogs and friends now all gone um and and he says that he goes down in this manhole and he kind of paints pictures and everything like that. And in the back, you see like an, a, a, a dead baby floating in the water. It's really kind of gross shit. Looks like you're gonna catch a lot of weird diseases just being down there. So he he goes down there and he draws sketches and everything like that. And that's kind of what keeps him preoccupied. Um, so when he's down there one day uh, amongst the salamanders and fetuses, he spots this mermaid that he recalls he met as a child once and they shared some words. And and he says, oh, it's just that last kind of thing from his childhood that's still there, right? That he remembers, right? That flinting thing that, you know, that nostalgia that he's in a dark place now. So he talks to the mermaid, realizes she's sick. And he says that he takes her back and he he gets his bathtub delivered, puts her in the bathtub and, and her illness starts getting worse and worse. And she tells him, you know, forget about me. Um, why don't you draw me? Why don't you paint me? Uh, make make this art of me. That's that should be your number one goal. So he starts to feed her raw fish and like paint her and all this kind of stuff as her sickness progresses. Her her deformities get more profound and disgusting. And uh, there's these nosy neighbors, of course. Think Miss Forty Five, right? There's always a fucking nosy neighbor trying to bother you when you're trying to do fucked up shit. It's a, it's none of their business what kind of crimes you're committing. Get back down there. So there's, a, oh, of course, nosy neighbors that are always talking about it, this couple. So um, basically, um, he starts to paint her as she rots. And he uses these, like these like bubbles that are on her as part of the art. And we get a lot of this weird colorful gore and colorful gore would be the way I would explain something like street trash, right? When people are melting green and blue and purple and shit. And it's just like this rad, nasty, weird shit. And we have this element of surreal gore and, and, the effects are really gnarly and nasty. And it's got this do it like cheap, like shot of video quality about it. So it makes it even better. So, uh, he's doing this painting and it just gets worse and worse. And she like melting and, and just really gross disease here degenerative disease um until the point where she's just filled with a lot of these weird worms and maggots and shit like that and it's just really fucking gross but it gets gorier and gorier and by the end of it it's just kind of like a art masterpiece of nasty gore there's a twist at the end but just really good really good for this kind of stuff I don't think it's going to be matched as far as the guinea pig movies are concerned uh, as for me and I really thought this one was something special and how many fucking horror movies do you have a mermaid in and how many horror films with a mermaid are gore fast or, or weird like this one crossed is like avant garde,
0: kind of like gore,
1: and that's like it's just like, yeah, make me feel better about watching this weird, nasty shit, even though I love the weird, nasty shit. If you add a little art in it, then I can be like, well, I can get on my high horse and be like, well, it's not just a gore film, it's a little art too, put on my little beret and be like, hey but, anyways, I, I um. I like it. I thought it was pretty awesome. And I don't, I wish I wouldn't have waited so long to watch. See, that's the funny thing is I watch hundreds of movies every year. And there's a lot that I've had for years and heard about for years. And I sit on them. I've sit on them. I was like, I had this movie for 20 years sitting on the shelf and I don't know why I didn't watch it. Maybe it was like saving it or just the right time. And now I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not going to live forever. I'm just start picking those off and watching them because hell, I, I, you know, sometimes you get sick of watching something that you you know is not, you're not gonna like, but you just sometimes just popping in something that you know you're gonna really enjoy and it makes it go, you know, makes it makes it all worth it, right? So, uh, mermaid in a manhole, um, not exactly what I was expecting. Hell, I didn't know what I was expecting, but um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, the next film in this uh, this, this two-pack here from On Earth Films, like I said, uh, the guinea pig films, is He Never Dies, which actually came out in 86. This uh, Mermaid in a Manhole came out in 88, I believe, somewhere around there. So He Never Dies is uh, not quite as good as Mermaid in a Manhole, uh, to leave it lightly. It's not horrible or anything like that. It's a dark comedy about suicide. And there's nothing funnier about suicide, am I right, guys? <laughs> fucking hilarious although i know this this subject matter would bother people of course uh the idea of committing suicide is going to bother a lot of people it's not very funny right it's not funny that's why the idea of making it a dark comedy will be funny or appealing to people with a very sick sense of humor I i don't even know why i have to say that you're watching my show you should know uh know that much right uh so anyways what we have here is a young man who cuts himself one day very brutally on the wrist and and um it kind of like he he realizes that after a while it starts starts bleeding stops bleeding on its own and no longer feels pain, and the more he realizes he cannot die, the more he wants to die. It's kind of funny, right? Like when you're young, like when you can't have something you want it more. This time it so happens to be that he cannot kill himself. He cannot die so he never dies right the title of it so it gets worse and worse and worse until the point he's cutting off his hand he's taping it back together he's who's who am i going to call i try he's going to call the emergency numbers and it gets absolutely ridiculous and silly and goofy and as funny as somebody about trying to kill themselves can be but uh, yeah Uh, there's a weird kind of like PSA. I don't even want to say that like a warning quality about it where there's this American guy sitting in front and staring at the camera and he's like, anyways, basically that, and then like, there's a Japanese dub of him, like talking, it's just a bizarre kind of weird deal here. Um, but it's a strange film. It's a very strange little kind of film of the bunch. Um, I thought it was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Of course he never dies was, was worth it for the, the gore, which it doesn't match, uh, any of the other, um, guinea pig movies that i've seen it's not as gory as devil's experiment or or flower flesh and blood of course mermaid in the manhole it's not as good as those it's probably you know it's different like it's hard to compare to the two fake kind of snuff films And, and mermaid in the manhole is just miles better than it so it's fun as fun as something like this can be and i i enjoyed it but what i enjoyed more on here um they have a little 17 kind of page history of the guinea pig movies on here that you can read And it goes over kind of in detail about the history of them being made and the success that they had in Japan and who picked him up, JV, all this kind of company and stuff, and they go over the serial killer deal, who we all know uh, was a serial killer who murdered three or four young girls in uh, Japan, and he had a huge hentai collection, and these movies were in his collection, and they go over that, and I knew the story briefly, I probably had read it before, but going over it in detail helped a little bit to kind of understand, you know, that all this kind of weird shit that's around the guinea pig movies create helps it create its legend, right? And, and I know that's kind of a strange thing to say about it. They also took talk about the uh, you know the Charlie Sheen incident of course and how that got there which has Bollum, uh actually being quoted in there who's since passed of course so that that's kind of cool to see that um, so we so we kind of always hear about the Charlie Sheen story seeing a glimpse of flower and flesh and blood but we now on like I I didn't I, I guess I forgot but I didn't know it was actual mixtape so that's nice to see all that kind of stuff and it's just an interesting history of the movies too and like I said not only are the movies kind of interesting on their own but they're interesting in a place of history, too, right? And the guinea pigs are, are really infamous gore films. And, and of course, a lot of movies have been made since that kind of make the guinea pig movies look tame. Like, especially He Never Dies. It's fairly tame in comparison to a lot of crazy shit. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably watch the the last two that I, I haven't seen yet uh, for next week. Uh, um, uh, Android of Notre Dame or Notre Dame. And of course, uh, the Devil Doll, Devil Woman, I believe, is what it's called from 1990. So I'll probably pop those two in and finish up the Guinea Pig series. And yeah, maybe I'll watch the Greatest Hits or the Making of. I think I've seen the Making of. But so, so like I said, if uh, you can check out Mermaid in Manhole, you can find it on YouTube and stuff like that. If you don't have the disc, because it's obviously out of print and very probably very expensive. But yeah, um, I, I would recommend if you like the weird kind of Japanese gore films or kind of art, weird do-it-yourself cheap shit like that's just nasty. Even though it's not kind of do it yourself because it's made for like a major market you know to be put on the shelf on stuff like that so anyways just really cool stuff yeah anyways mermaid in the manhole and he never dies from on earth films unfortunately out of print okay the next four weirdo japanese movies i'm going to talk about were all made in like 86 87 and uh the first one is going to be gozu uh the thing forsaken by god part one Okay. Yeah. Part one. We never did get a part two, unfortunately, but, uh, the kind of plot of this movie is kind of like house Soup from 1977, right? Where you have these school girls going to this house and there's like kind of a, a woman there that kind of knows something is up. And essentially what happens is they're attacked by a weird kind of presence. That's kind of the basic premise, which is kind of a common premise. You know, we have evil dead as well, you know, basic shit, but, the open, this one's like 86, so it's later. I imagine that How To was kind of an influence on this. So it opens up, and and we have this weird quotation at the beginning. It says that Gozu was this strange creature that was the evolutionary dead end. He's one of a kind. No other animal on planet Earth is like Gozu. He is forsaken by God. He's an abomination. All this weird shit. And are like, what the fuck? And it's showing like this blob creature with tentacles. And I'm like, this is totally made for me. This is so fucking weird. And like, we cut to these schoolgirls, these four girls. And they all have their own personality. We have like the curious one, the, the, the professor, like a uh, relative, whatever. So they all go to this. I, I don't necessarily know why they're going here. So they go to this like uh, place to hang out and stay the night and everything, and they realize that like when they were doing something like swimming, all their mirrors were broken in their purses, and we're like, what the fuck? So like the the woman is there, she's doing medical experiments, and obviously it involves Gozu. So fairly quickly, one of the girls is attacked uh, by a mirror, and something like pierces her face, her cheek. And, uh, after that, like, Gozu comes out and he starts to attack, like, and it's such a weird, surreal thing, like, he pulls them through mirrors at one point, and we go to, like, his weird dungeon, and, like, he starts absorbing, like, kind of like the thing, but he's different. And they mention that Gozu can change to other animals if he would like, and he lays dormant for years, kind of like a Pennywise or turtle or amphibian or reptile that will lay dormant over a season if you guys seen the ending of the movie but uh yeah it's just a weird gooey monster movie like where the gore is really good the monster is really fucking scary and gross and Lovecraftian, and and i eat that shit up i love that kind of stuff but there's tentacles the girls are trying to fight to survive and it has this weird kind of surreal moment where like you don't exactly know exactly what gozu is or how how um he is intelligent. They do mention that, but um, with the the music in there and stuff like that, like I I don't know like his his uh his his mind process on that kind of stuff. But I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought this was really great. Really loved it. And uh, me and Seb talk about this a little bit. Uh, he brings it up, and and uh, I know Dustin brought it up. And a lot of people have brought this up, and it's just one that I've always wanted to watch. I just never actually uh, did. So finally, I popped in Gozu. A Thing Forsaken by God, and I'm really glad I did. So, yeah, good stuff. Check it out. It's on YouTube if you're really interested in it, but I really would recommend it. It's about 40 minutes long. uh, A great 40-minute monster movie about weird shit. Uh, Yeah, not as, like, sleazy or anything like that. Um, I mean, it's not, like, an explicit sexual thing or anything. So, and um, safe for kids. Show your kids Gosu. The Thing Forsaken by God Part 1. Okay, the next one is also a really wild movie called Biotherapy from, uh, 86. This one runs about 35 minutes, and, uh, this is the first Alien Giallo movie I've ever seen, if that makes any fucking sense to anybody. That's right, I said Alien Giallo. So, essentially, what we have here is, in the very beginning, we see this kind of, uh, black-gloved, black-headed, trench-coat-wearing killer his face-covered, their face-covered, brutally murder this scientist, pulls out his eyeball and everything and sets it on the table. And the credits roll is like, Oh, we're in for something nuts. We are in for something real wild here. So, and it goes on. And, uh, we kind of learn that, um, these, uh, this, this scientist and like a group of students were kind of, uh, setting up this weird, like G one scientific, uh, thing. And, and it's really bizarre. And one of the, one of the students had gone a little bit overboard and he used it when he should not have, and he's banned from class right away. But uh, one of the other guys leaves with them, and after that, like we have this, like, attack, um, when nobody else is around on one of the other students, and there's a brutal murder again by this, this, uh, giallo alien, and I'm saying it's an alien of sorts, because the way they talk, the way they move, the weird electrical shit that is on them, as they, and this weird effect they put on them, and, like, and just, like, obviously this thing is not human, or, or something's wrong with it, and weird, what it turns out to be is even fucking weirder than an alien, so, and it is an alien, kind of, I I don't know, it's fucking weird, um, uh, so, so what happens is like when, when the characters are killed, they're like these elaborate gore effects, right? Like somebody's killed with test tubes, which is perfect for a scientist to be killed by test tubes. And like all these test tubes are sticking out of this person and they're like moving and like spraying everywhere and, and stuff like that. And they'll do like this reverse thing where they'll like go forward, go backward, go forward, go backward, go forward. Back. <laughs> it's just like, why are you doing it? I don't know, but it's a weird thing, weird choice. But, uh, yeah, so basically it's 35 minutes of this alien uh, Jallo killer chasing everybody and picking them off while it's trying to Get something. It's obviously after something, and the ending is just really weird. Um, you actually get to see under that mask, and it's a it's a monster. Of course, it's it's awesome. It's entertaining. It's fast paced. It's gory. It's weird. It's bloody. It's edited wild in those kill sequences. Highly recommended. Weird, nasty stuff. I do have like a bootleg. I might show the bootleg. I mean, there's no real point to this uh, to show the bootlegs of these movies. I have bootlegs, of course, but you can watch them all on YouTube as well. So, so like if I don't have an official release, sometimes it's like, why well, show the bootleg? I bought these bootlegs years ago, but still. Um, Usually when I buy bootlegs, I make a promise to myself that when they're released on Blu-ray or DVD or something like that, I'll pick it up, and I usually do if I can. Sometimes they go out of print so fast you can't even buy it. Or they're overseas and you can't get yourself a copy. But biotherapy, great stuff. So out of all these so far, Mermaid and the Man, all you never... uh, he never dies. Guzu, the thing forsaken by God, part one and Biotherapy. Uh, I would recommend all those. Uh, he never dies being the last one, and we still have two more to go through. So yeah, these are these are really entertaining stuff. So anyways, Biotherapy, great. The next one here, I believe, is from 1987, and this is Cyclops. And this one did get a Blu-ray release. It was it was kind of hard to get uh, for us Americans. I don't even know if it's still in print. I'll shoot me some links if it if it is. Um, so this is a wild movie too. Uh, The opening narration uh, I was into right away, it it mentions these birth defects and I was like, what a wild way to start a movie. And basically a lot of these birth defects, the people, the babies were kind of killed on purpose or left to die without much medical help, except this one scientist took pity on them and believe that they were an evolutionary step forward so he preserved them and helped them survive and then we kind of like are put into this world of the uh, apprentice of that person working on something and they have a pregnant wife and they're feeding her all this these vitamins and stuff and has a sister who is and it's very mysterious and we have this organization of course kind of lingering around everywhere and their henchman is this guy with sunglasses and they mentioned this deformity of people having one eye and Siamese twins which is conjoined twins, the term Siamese twins kind of uh, outdated term at this point. But uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the guy with sunglasses you know what he is right uh, by the title so like uh, you, you think this character is a villainous at, at first at, and uh, the, the first like like it's like a, I believe a 55, 56, 52 minute movie there's a lot of like kind of like setup and who people are for the first like 30 34 minutes and everything like that but then like the last 15 minutes of this movie gets so fucking wild and so bizarre and so gr- awesome when it comes to effects like we learn who everybody is and we have um, I don't want to use the term like, and, and like, because people that are conjoined twins or, or cyclopses. I don't know if that t- typically happens where they survive when they're cyclops. I, I don't know. I've never seen one. But like, is like the most offensive terms possible with this movie would kind of refer to them as I would imagine would be like a freak fight. And, and we have that in an elevator, right? And like, there's people mutating and falling and like, and, and like just like changing and all this shit and there's reveals and by the end of it we have this glob of shit on the fucking ground um, it's just a weird and wild movie and uh, like I said I enjoyed it quite a bit I would love to see this get a United States release I'd love to see all these get a United States release I would be the first one throwing money even if a lot of these are SOV or just poor quality or don't have kind of anything like Masters or anything this one I know has film elements in it because we, we had an overseas Blu-ray um, which I would love to get uh, a hold of if, the, if there is a chance but like it. It's so hard to like wonder if these short Japanese films are ever going to get put out on Blu-ray or DVD again or anything like that they're so hard to find but uh, uh, Cyclops good stuff too really recommended I would check this one out as well okay and the last of the short weird Japanese flicks is Cotton uh, C-O-N T-O-N I believe it would be spelled like that maybe it's Contamination or, or something like that in a translation I'm not 100% sure it's again it's got one of those weird ass names like uh, like Cotton's uh, the, the Wrath of or the Forsaken some shit like that. It's, it's got an alternative name, The Wrath of So-and-So. So essentially, this one was the roughest quality. It's definitely SOB. It's definitely super cheap. And the, the print that you could find online and stuff looks like shit. That's all I'm going to say. So this one, I think, runs about 40 minutes or so. And essentially, what we have here is a really broke college student who is kind of being, like, threatened by these kind of, these low rent gangsters and collecting his debt and everything like that. So he has no money or anything like that. And he's starting to have these nightmares where this kind of creature, this weird creature, this demon or something is like, chasing him and breaking down walls and everything it, it reminds me a lot like slayer from you know the early 80s the 82 movie i believe is that a Re- renee cardona who who directed that one i can't fucking remember but uh yeah uh, anyways i don't think it's cardona that's the mexican director but it's a name like that so that movie i enjoy slayer i think slayer is a little underrated a lot of people don't love it but uh so so essentially like it's kind of like that aspect right where we have like this this dream demon of course not freddy krueger but this dream kind of demon kind of chasing him and stuff and throughout the movie like things like Throw up in the sink, and there'll be a little creature in it, nasty shit like that. And by the end of it, of course, you know, him and his girlfriend are running from this gang, and of course, the, the demon is going to manifest into reality and fuck some shit up. Or the demon's going to manifest inside him. And there's going to be some fucked up shit, some gore, fun movie, entertaining movie, um, little talky, probably in comparison to the other ones, probably the weakest besides he never dies. I, I think if I had to rank them, I would put this one second to the bottom. And I mean, that no insult. still very entertaining, still very good, still cool effects. Like the little monster that he pukes up reminds me of something from the a movie, the abomination, which I enjoy, which is a cool movie. If nobody's ever seen that one as well from 86, I would say it makes all things desolate I have to say it every time I bring up the movie. Um but anyways, uh yeah, Cotton is pretty cool. Uh Cotton. Uh, Anyways, all these are on YouTube if you search, uh, if if you can't find them to purchase, which I don't think you will be able to unless they're bootlegs. Um, So, out of all these weird Japanese short movies, I I covered uh, Mermaid and Manhole, He Never Dies, Gozu, The Thing Forsaken by God, Biotherapy, Cyclops, and Cotton. Another one that I have covered a couple times on the show that I really enjoy is called Gakidama, The Demon Within, from 1985. It's a little kind of gremlins weird movie, but it has like some mythology about it as well, which is really enjoyable, cool movie. So, check all those out, man. Uh, get back to me and let me know. And all all these movies will kind of lead into the question of the week. So, yeah, anyways, love this weird Japanese direct-to-video uh, made for the, the VHS market. Gory, crazy, mind-bending nonsense. I'm all about it. I love it. Okay, guys, let's get into those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. A of last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the truth. Reality! What do you know about reality? Handling Fort Carroll. We you have This
0: is, reality. is reality.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not a solitary story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality.
0: Yeah, reality. <laughs> not reality. Not <It's> reality. Not <laughs> reality. Uh. <laughs> the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a
1: ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature, and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck
0: off. <laughs>
1: Alright, now we're getting towards the tail end of the 1994 movies. Next week might be the last one I cover. More than one movie. Uh, probably have like four or five in there. So this one is still sealed. I know I, I you can run it on Amazon. And I just had it sealed for so long and now it's out of print. I was like, I don't know if I want to open it. I'm a moron like that. Um, so this is vampires and other stereotypes. Uh Yeah. So, this movie, I, I who directed this one? I want to make sure I get it. They don't even have the director on here. But I believe these are some of the same people that were involved with the anthology Twisted Tales, which I didn't love from 94. You I'm yeah, not a huge fan of that one either. So, this one, Vampires and Other Stereotypes. Um, it's like a comedy, of course. Um, and comedy is very subjective. I didn't find it very funny. Okay, so there we go. Um, essentially what we have here is a girl. She meets this, uh, uh, I don't even know if I want to start with that plot point here. So essentially we have these two kind of, uh, I guess they're like kind of Mulder and Scully kind of people. They hunt vampires, yada, 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 or other evil things. They kind of track down, um, they close holes that are gateways to hell. Um, they find one that they're going to close down. There's a lawyer there for some reason that's been called by this evil vampire. They, they slay the vampire. They're about to close the portal. Well, all of a sudden these these kids walk in and they're looking for a party, somebody cuts themselves and that kind of activates the portal. They have to stay in there till morning breaks and with the portal to hell so yeah that's basically it not everybody's saying who they're supposed to be um, and all sorts of weird shenanigans start happening like giant rat monsters w- faces on the walls that are funny and mocking them some of that stuff's okay and humor wise and so essentially the characters are the lawyer who apparently ends up being one of the teen's dads that's no coincidence of course um, the one of the, the, the main girl here who's dating this kind of this leather jacket asshole her two friends they're kind of like spacey you know, all over the place and then we have the two vampire hunters a younger guy who seems more polite, nicer as a thing for one of the women, and like an older, kind of jaded guy who's very, you know, calm and collected and, and rude and just very, I would say, like if Andrew Dice Clay had almost no energy. Kind of that deal. So, uh, as far as, like, the dialogue is concerned, this is a cheap movie, I believe it's SOV, so when, like, editing comes into play, like, I understand that sometimes they would have to edit these on multiple tapes, so, like, air. There's a lot of fucking air in the movie, like, oh, like, you know a lot of movies, you'll have overlapping dialogue, right? When people, you'll hear them off-screen talk before you get to them. None of that here. Like, there'll be, like, half a second sometimes before somebody gets on them, and then before they talk, to are like, yeah, you're right! And they'll come back to them, and they'll be like, yeah! Like, so... Acting suffers majorly, probably due to the editing and probably some of the dialogue, that kind of stuff. Like, it, it's hard to, like, hold a lot of the SOV shit against it. Like, I know sometimes, like, when they get the movies back, like, uh, Scooter Craig got to re-edit Shattered Dead. He cut a lot of the air out, and it just flows a lot better. I mean, I always loved that movie, but it flows a lot better now. So, like, because it was such a pain in the ass to edit on tape. And I believe this was an SOV. If not, I, I'm mistaking and It's just, the editing's not great. The diet, I mean, like, the editing's not poor like, poor when it comes to, like, act all that kind of stuff. It's just okay. But, like, there's so much air in the dialogue between the characters. The characters are, are some of the dumbest characters to ever exist. And, and it is a comedy, so you're like, whatever. But at, at some point, they're just too stupid even for that. Like, and there's obviously the take, like, the girl's father dies and her boyfriend disappears and she's more concerned about her boyfriend. She barely knows than her father dying. And you're just like, what? I don't know why they're doing this. Obviously maybe for jokes. Um, the special effects are really good for a low budget movie. The special effects are fun. The heads are cool. The rats cool. The demon faces are cool. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. There's this weird element involving Elvis and Jim Morrison. I won't give away completely, but Hey, even saying that's probably giving away too much. So that, that was kind of enjoyable and goofy and fun. Um, but like I said, um, there's a lot of people that turn out, to, uh, you know, a lot of twists and everybody's saying who they are. But uh, I really couldn't dig this one very much due to the characters, the writing and, and the acting. All that stuff kind of really hurt this one, to be honest. The, a lot of the characters and actors didn't really, I mean, the actors didn't go on to do very much more, I don't think. Well, not that i know of um but like i said um there's some fun special effects the budget really holds it back and, and and that's that's what there is to it the concept is cool too you know being trapped somewhere until dawn you know night of the demons is the same kind of concept right you're trapped there you got to wait it out until the sun rises or even from dusk till dawn or hell you're you're trapped in a place where the monster's trying to get you night of living dead it's a siege kind of deal anyways vampires and other stereotypes um not too big of a fan of it, honestly. Not my thing. But uh, some people may get a kick out of it. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon if you can't find the DVD to buy. Okay, we're going to do another one from 1994. Actually, covered this bad boy already. And this is Giver 2 Dark Hero, or Giver Dark Hero, who directed this one. Actually directed by Steve Wang, who did special effects on the first Giver. Um, yeah, and maybe he directed the part first Giver 2. I think he might have done it. I know Screaming Mad George did effects as well on the first one. And crazy, Les Claypool the third did the music here. So... If you guys are unfamiliar with Guyver, Guyver was a 1991 movie. It was based off a manga, and there was also an anime movie, anime movie called Guyver Out of Control, and and two series have been made about Guyver. Guyver is a pretty awesome character. I'm a big fan of the Guyver character. I love the 91 movie. I love the anime Out of Control. I love the anime that originally came out in the 80s. And I saw part of the 2000s ones. I enjoyed that. There's not much Guyver that I've seen that I've disliked. So Guyver is um, essentially, uh, this is a sequel to that one I said, Um, the Zoinoids are these aliens from space that are human. They transform and uh, um, basically the character Alex is Alex in this he was uh, he got this guyver unit which was a, 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 a basically a weapon made to go on top of you to make you super tough I believe the aliens made it he got it in the first one he stopped the zoonoids he thinks it's over but of course he starts to watch the news he's kind of weird channels, and he sees that there was kind of a, a werewolf attack in this area where they're doing kind of an archaeological dig he gets very interested in it he goes there he realizes there's zoonoids and this archaeological dig site is actually on veiling uh, a spaceship that he can learn a lot about the Zoonoids and a lot about the Giver units on him. So he goes there. The movie runs about two hours and three minutes, which is definitely a little long. It's kind of an epic for like a low-budget direct-to-video movie, but uh, there's some cool things about it. The fight scenes are fun. They're really cool, especially Giver fighting monsters. He fights this big kind of guy who's like a porcupine werewolf thing that's really awesome. Um, that fight scene's great. That char- that monster's really cool. Um, yeah, and we also see another Giver in here, which I love, um, and it's a Zoonoid Giver, which is badass so there's a lot of cool things to like about the movie uh, the runtime's a little long I enjoyed the music, it is a little cheap it's definitely like direct to video kind of action kind of sci-fi movie but I enjoyed it, I've always enjoyed it I've always had a soft spot for it, I grew up with the Guyver, okay, what can I say um, and I do think it's worth your time, I really do uh, but I, like I said I, I believe I've covered this one on the channel before um, as far as acting is concerned, I don't really know any of the actors or actresses in this movie, uh, except maybe the, 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 there's an agent in the movie, of course, who's helping out the guyver. And I've seen him before, I believe, uh, just in kind of some movies here and there. there. Like I said, there's decent gore. Um, uh, the Zoidoids look awesome. The practical effects are really cool. Um, and when he transforms into the guyvers, is badass. And I love the beginning when he like dispatches all these goons and they're all like the old school, like nineties goons where it's like, I don't know why these goons are hanging out. Like you'll have one with a do Um, then you have one in like a gangster thing and then you have one that looks like a trucker you're like i don't know who fucking put these goons together but this looks like the burger king kids club version of bad guys i don't know like like we got to get diversity in the villains like they all got to look completely different everyone's got to be from a different gang like i don't fucking know but it's funny they're all just 90s stereotype cheap bad guys that you would see in lots of movies um like everybody was like i don't want to be picking on any villains any certain group of villains get a mixture in there like they're all just stuntmen so like if a stuntman come in all shapes and sizes. That's fucking why, right? But uh, anyways, Guyver 2, Dark Hero, entertaining stuff. The last one from 94 that I'm going to cover this week is Sorority Slaughter. Yeah. And this is a Wave production. This is a Saturn's Core release. And this is some cheap stuff right here, SOB. Um, If you guys don't know Wave productions, make sure that you watch the documentary Wave, Mail Order Murder. It's very fun. It's very informative. And you kind of get to see some glimpses of this movie. Okay, so Sorority Slaughter is uh, very much that kind of uh, somebody sent this away, and they asked for a bunch of shit in the movie. They paid for it, and they got it. This is uh, Tina Krause's screen debut, I believe. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Tina Krause would go on to be in a bunch of these wave productions, a bunch of other movies. She's in Bloodletting, one of my personal favorite SOV movies, if not my favorite. So, Sorority Slaughter. What we have here in the very beginning is, like, we have a regular who's in a bunch of these wave movies. He's kind of an older guy, and, like, he's sitting there like watching television, and, like, the funniest line comes out of nowhere. I wish I remembered it verbatim, and I tried to find clips of it in the trailer and everything just so I could put them in here, but I could not but the one thing that cracks me up is like he's like out of nowhere almost he's like to live forever that is man's true wish and I was just like what the fuck it just made me laugh out loud because it was so random and such like a setup for who this guy is and what the fuck's going to happen later so essentially this guy's obsessed with weird occult stuff he's a creep he uh, obviously is a murderer all this kind of shit so then we cut like to these three sorority girls at first we cut to like these two sorority girls a couple wave regulars I don't know their names unfortunately I should and they're like swimming and they're just talking like how much fun it is to swim in the pool and there's like elongated swimming scene which obviously a little here we need some swimming in here so they're swimming around and everything Uh some of the dialogue is very funny because it goes on for way too long all this kind of stuff and then like we cut to like more sorority girls and everything like that And like there's this car wash scene where everybody's getting like wet for like 10 minutes and having this water fight and white, white t-shirt white t-shirts and you're like I know what's going on here it's enjoyable it's shameless it's funny it's 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 like lighthearted and it's sleaziness if that makes any sense so like everybody's just kind of goofing around and everything and then of course um, they do a prank where they say go knock on this guy's door. It turns out to be the creep. Somebody gets killed. This guy gets killed, but he doesn't care. They tell the cops, no one believes him. Essentially, so he starts going. I think that's later when they tell the cops, it doesn't matter. So he starts picking them off. Yeah, I'm putting them on an altar that he apparently puts in their backyard. I don't know where he's carrying them essentially picks them off it's not gratuitously gory or anything i think they actually this one they might use some guts if i'm not mistaken they might use some guts i can't remember um all those like gory japanese direct-to-video movies are in my head still and i'm just seeing guts and bugs shit falling on the ground but uh yeah so like it's it it is what it is it's enjoyable for what it is like i said like spraying each other with a hose is just like pure 90s like a kind of fun like SOB trash, like obvious trash, like, you know, like so many of these movies would have these long scenes. You're like, why are they not cutting? Like, um, and all this kind of shit. So, Anyways, if Sorority Slaughter sounds like it's up your alley, then check it out. It's exactly what you think it is if you've seen any wave production movies. Um, the special features are audio commentary track with stars Laura uh, Giglio and David Castileon. Uh, Castilion? I'm terrible. Moderated by Ross Snyder of Saturn's Core, who is an expert on a lot of SOV movies. Sorority Girl Murderer, an alternate cut of Sorority Slaughter incorporating new footage shot in 2012. This is almost the same movie, except they uh, they incorporate a little bit more of the new stuff. And uh, like, I mean... Not a, it is a different movie, okay? But the new stuff is just more like a, a kind of a, a slasher kind of deal. Vintage cable access interview featuring co-director Gary Whitson, Sal Longo, and FX artist Avon uh, Aven Warren. Deleted scene featuring a vintage introduction by actress Tina Kraus. Bonus movie sorority slaughter two directed by oh this is the one I saw I didn't even know there was an alternate cut of there on there. Sorry about that I I, I don't remember which one I watched if I watched part two. Or, uh, bonus movie, Sorority Slaughter 2, directed by Gary Whitson, starring Tina Krause. Debbie, oh, geez, I messed up. I watched the one, the 53-minute one, which is incorporating new footage, and I thought it was part two, and I was looking at it, so I was like, why is part two the same movie? So I obviously made a mistake here. So anyways, SOV movie, you can watch Sorority Slaughter 1 and 2, and an alternate cut of it. So, sounds like it's up your alley. If it sounds like you want to get a little bit horned up, but not too horned up, then watch Sorority Slaughter. Uh, Yeah. I do, uh, I must admit that I find all the girls very pretty, and, um, and, 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 like, attractive in, like, a way that, like, and I don't mean this in this, I mean as utmost compliment, like, it's just, like, they're not your typical people, right, like, I, you watch so many movies in the 90s, and everybody's like a Sharon Stone ripoff, you know, like, I get it, okay, fuck it, like, these people look, like, different, and it's enjoyable, and, uh, they seem like they're having fun, and that is very, uh, Contagious in a lot of ways, right? It makes it go a long way. I'm not saying this is a great movie or anything like that. I'm not even giving it a recommend. But from if you're liking what you're hearing, what I'm saying, then then it out Sorority Slaughter. All right, guys, we're here to talk about your pick, the Blind Spot, and you picked uh, Mothra. Mothra directed by Irishira Honda, who I always say his name wrong. He directed Godzilla, of course, from 1954. He did Space Amniba from 1970, a bunch of the Godzilla sequels. Yeah, obviously he did some other movies before. He had a a prolific career, although most Japanese directors who have some success seem to have directed a lot of fucking movies. Uh, Yeah, this is a a Toho film, of course, Mm -hmm. and it's about a giant fucking moth. So, it's a mixture kind of of King Kong and Godzilla, which... As a kaiju movie, it kind of should be. So Mm -hmm. uh, essentially what we have here is um, what what triggers it. I think a plane goes down over this island where they used to kind of test nuclear missiles or nuclear things. A boat crashes. A boat crashes Mm -hmm. by this um, nuclear research island or some shit. And uh, they tell everybody that they were saved by the natives. Everybody's confused by it. So they do a joint effort of Japan and this made-up country called... Ro, Rocha, uh Rosalia, Rosal, Rosian. It's R O L I C I A N or something like that is what what the the race is. So it's kind of like a, 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 a add in for Russia or America or one of the big superpowers, and essentially they go in here and they discover that not only are there natives living on this island, that there's these two little uh, what does the reporter kind of coin their name, They're tiny beauties.
0: Yeah, but fairies. Fairies, but he calls them
1: tiny beauties, and they're these twins. Um, What happens is the relations uh, are really shitty. One of the guys who runs them, pretty much just him, and he kidnaps the fairies and uses them as kind of a traveling sideshow, similar to King Kong. Um, But they do not know that this island worships a god in Mothra who has superpowers and will come looking for the tiny beauties and bring them back to their home. But
0: at what cost? At what cost, indeed. Um so like maybe like the first like half of the movie there there is no moth right it really is it's like a, a it, it, it's a slow build up it's uh like political which is very similar to a
1: Godzilla film
0: yeah, absolutely. And and you know, to extent King Kong. Um
1: There's no polit- politics in King Kong. No, I meant like the, the adventure
0: island. the yeah, exploring the island, the adventure. Well, um I think that's where all the King half Kong half those movies, King Kong, it's an island adventure, almost all that yeah. stuff.
1: Well even what was the uh the um Shaw Brothers version of that too, the mighty Peking man was
0: similar. I mean Oh you, yeah, I remember that you one. You go to the
1: island, you're attacked by weird shit, you get right. off the island with some sort of thing you shouldn't have and I, I do
0: wish that The Island Adventure had more, like, deadliness monster. to it. There is, like, a killer plan.
1: Um, we should have had some Lost Continent monsters in there.
0: Something. Like, send in the crab monster from the Lost Continent. Right. That, that, you hated that movie. I don't know why. Um, It was just weird. That, that was the Hammer one, yeah, right? But... With Michael Ripper. I mean, I enjoyed Michael Ripper, but, like... the It, it just didn't feel like a Hammer movie. But, well, but we're I... not here to talk about Lost Continent. We're here to talk about... The adorable Mothra, and how cute she is. Okay, so Mothra... (laughs) The cool thing about Mothra is,
1: technically you get an egg, but -hmm. then you get a caterpillar of sorts, and then throughout, so you're not stuck the entire movie waiting for the monster to come. You you have a caterpillar monster doing damage, and then it morphs into another don, monster, you know, and mm-hmm. that happens in other ones like uh, Shin Godzilla. Godzilla is not Godzilla when he comes out. Um, he mutates furthermore, and so Moth were kind of like he starts off as the caterpillar going across sea destroying ships, and eventually becomes the Moth of superpower. power. Um, the reporter steals the show in this. He's very funny. He's yeah. a judo expert. He just got a great look. He's got a great comic <laughs> timing. I really like well, like the um, the uh, reporter in the film.
0: Yeah, I think his name is Zen. Is that what they call him, or is that the the female reporter? I'm
1: not sure. But the uh, the re- the goons. Um, oh, the goons are, are great. super cheap. Um, especially like a lot of times the relations. It look like a mixture of Japanese and Americans or mm. Russians. So it's kind of a mixture culture here. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of, like, English phrases that they speak. They're all, like, poorly dubbed in. Oh, when they speak, when the English people speak Japanese, it's awkward. And when, you can watch it in English or Japanese. but And then when, like, they're dubbed,
0: like, the Americans are dubbed in English, too. And they sound terrible. They're like, hey, get out of (laughs) here. You're just like,
1: what the fuck is happening? Like,
0: all all the English in this movie, because we watched the Japanese dub, um, all the English is, like, throwaway lines. Like, hmm, I wonder, like... Mothra is coming. It it it's it's so weird because I I, I don't know. I like I, I guess it makes sense that like when you're watching especially like order movies and there's like a different language. Like I don't know the language because I don't know how poorly it's being done. Um I mean, if you look at a
1: lot of fifties sci fi movies, you'll see like I think that we made a terrible or, mistake oh, oh, yeah, investigating yeah. the supernatural like it always happens, like we shouldn't meddle in science. Um, where's God, where's man's place in the, right. it's like, whatever. But this one definitely feels like the fifties carryover sci-fi into oh, the yeah. kaiju movies, even though the kaiju movies were in the fifties too, it felt like they kind of kickstarted in the sixties, right?
0: There was a lot more of them. I, I mean, it even does feel like, yeah, th- this does feel like a throwback, like, like a mixture M- Mothra's like big thing is like, all I want is like world peace and like, like peace between the races and stuff like that it was really kind of weird. Um, like, like, at the very end, when Mothra goes home, like, that two, or that, like, stone rises out, and it's like, like, and then mankind will learn peace between each other, and it's like, what? Who? What? Um,. I really like the set design.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. Like on the island, there's a lot of bright colors, like techno color stuff. Like mm-hmm. on the, the rocks and scribbled and the plants and the mold. That stuff's really cool and pretty effective. Uh, I really don't have as much to say about Mothra as I should. But when Mothra is a full Mothra, looks awesome. Right. The wing like the the wind just is destructive as shit. Like,
0: yeah, like you, you, you know, like when you think of a moth, but like. You know what? What is a moth going to destroy? You know, you got Godzilla that's like shooting nukes, like on everything, and
1: then you got like Gigant and King Ghidorah
0: three heads, and Rodan's just a dragon and shit. Then you're like Mothra. Then you got Mothra, but you know, yeah, uh, like she's summoning like. Like, hurricanes and, like, like gusts of winds, like, just blowing all these, like, toy cars around. And some of the motorcycles look terrible, the toy motorcycles. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of, like, overlay in this movie. and They use miniatures. They use miniatures where, like, sometimes they just, like, use, like, a little, like, toy figure. Like, like in HD, you could see the guy, like. Like, whenever, like, a human, like, grabs, like, the fairy girls, we're just, like, hoarding two, like, dolls. Two like, Barbies. Like, two Barbie dolls. Like, they don't even, like, try. The one thing I thought was really fun about it was
1: um, that, obviously, there's other monsters in this world. Yeah. Like,
0: because they don't act
1: like it's a huge deal. Like, nobody's like, that monster doesn't exist. They're like, Mothra's not coming here. Like, they just, like, they accept Mothra as, like, a force of nature, like Godzilla. So you can tell they definitely were setting up their universe or had, like, the idea that monsters... Are just common
0: in yeah. Japan and places. They even say like like oh it's like it's like like the monster of the century like like this is like a regular occurrence. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, like the like Mothra, one of the toughest monsters of the century, is dead. Right. And they're like next week it's going to be somebody. It's like these are the Power Rangers except right. they don't have the Megazord
0: and shit to stop them. So they're <laughs> just like constantly getting smashed by them. Um, the, there is like with the the fairies like they they communicate like telepathically and. They have this, like, song that they kind of, like, sing, and that's what, like, Mothra. summons... Mothra! I, I can't think of how it goes, but, like, it's a really cool song, and it plays a couple of times throughout the film, um, but I thought that was cool that that they're, you know, since they're kidnapped, they basically just, like, summon Mothra, and it gets to, light, like, the villagers, like, doing, like, their religious ceremony, and then, like, Mothra comes out of the egg, and it's like, what? It's like this cute little caterpillar. Um... I, I um hated the bad guy in this movie. He's oh, yeah. such a douchebag. No he's sin. just, like, everything that you hate.
1: Like, he, he's just such a prick. He's a... Oh, God, you want to kill him.
0: It, but he acts so well, too, at the same time. Like, like I love, like, the acting that the actor did. Like, he just looks like a snake, like how he does his eyebrows and everything. Yeah. Um, I would say that he... His fate is, like, very, like, unceremoniously, like, done in, like... I was, I, I was hoping Mothra would like pick the car up and kill all the bad guys. Yeah, like I feel like Mothra should have got you know, like the re, like the revenge or something. But like he's just like killed by some passerby in the street or it's something, like a or a or cop. Something. Yeah, because he shoots that cop. He, and then He does shoot shoots a cop. Him. Yeah, he, he's just dead. Like there's no like. Speech or anything, it's like ah, and then falls down. And... I
1: like that the uh, the main
0: character, the scientist, has like a little
1: brother, and he's like he yeah. looks just like the reporter, and he's like chubby little brother running around with his like cheap like hat that makes him make sure you know he's a kid detective, right? <laughs> like, like every like every kid that's doing stuff like has a little cheap hat. He's <laughs> such a, like a, he's such like a Burger King's kid, Burger King Kids Club character, a- absolutely. Like yeah. if you guys know what that means, like there's just so many of those. They're like like when they try to do the new Ghostbusters, it seems like like any. Like, random group of kid, he would be in the back, like, with his hat, like, Let's Oh, go, yeah, guys. it's like he
0: belongs like, on the cast, like, recess, or, yeah, like, or like, hey, Arnold, head. or something, you know? Um, so I'm going to read from John Stanley's Creature Features. Oh, is it in mine? Yeah, I got a spot for it. Ooh. Mothra,
1: 62, two and a half out of five, two Asian girls called the Peanut Sisters that must be the english version each six inches high help a giant caterpillar hatch from its egg when the girls are kidnapped by a contemporary pt barnum mothra goes wild destroying tokyo tower and spinning a cocoon the usual massive destructive results as it rescues the helpless girllets. mothra is not a man in a rubber suit but a mock-up controlled by wires directed by E.C. hondro uh hondra which he spelled it wrong Inoshiro, that's not mm. even the right name. With effects by pal Iju... To, I can't make fun of his
0: spelling of the word when I can't even barely fucking say it. But I know It looks it's like wrong. he does have... Um, uh, two spellings. Yeah, Ishiro or, or... Oh, you should read you know that. Shido. I will. All right, so, Bathra. Uh, two and a half out of four? That's not too bad. No. An expedition to a strange island discovers a pair of singing miniature twin princesses called the Alilenas. Brought to Tokyo, they are exploited by a ruthless showman until rescued by their god, a huge caterpillar called Mothra. Colorful and enjoyable Japanese monster film with elaborate but unconvincing effects. Mothra and the girls return in several Godzilla series entries. So we actually have here, (coughs) this is James O'Neill's
1: tear on tape, and this is a cool thing they do here. They'll have little spotlights in there of famous directors or actors. Do you Mm -hmm. want me to read it? Let me see. And it has him, 1911 to 1993. I can read it if you'd like. Because I'll pick up some of the titles, too. Um, do you want to read the Japanese names? Uh, no. (laughs) The premier director of Japanese monster films for more than 20 years, Honda, was the star director at Toho Studios and the guiding hand being the successful careers of Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan, and other stars. On the other end of the scale, Ishiro, how do you say it? Ishiro. 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 Also, you gotta say it in the English, Sazing, not in Japanese. <laughs> also, worked with uh, Kurosawa on projects like Ran and Dreams. He did Godzilla, King, uh, Half Human, Rodan, the H Man, Varnon, the Unbelievable. Have you ever seen? I never saw Varnon, but the monster looks so weird. Um, the Human Vapor, Mothra, King Kong, Congre- tons and tons and tons. And it looks like uh, he had some of his last Terra of Mecha Godzilla, Yogg Monster from Space, just a slew of stuff. Um, to me, I like this movie. Mm-hmm. It's hard to rate. I mean, it is. It's it's like a three and a half to a uh, like said, a it's a seven and a half, seven, seven and a half somewhere around there. It's like I a like a
0: three, it. three and a half. I mean, it is a cash in off of like you know a giant monster. It's a cool monster. Um, like you said, you get different stages, um, but the monster itself is like, like like the final Mothra, and even even the Caterpillar Mothra is very cool. Like it's cool, but it's short lived. Um, I think the bulk of the movie is like the political drama going on the expedition and
1: people act like that is not 90% of Godzilla movies but it really is
0: It it, it is you, you know Um, and, and even the formulas with Godzilla it's like oh they get him and they freeze him or cover him in cement or like give him like a strongly worded shame and then he comes back and does more and then it's like oh godzilla's <laughs> he better our friend. stop it godzilla
1: he's like wah, wah, you know and, and
0: like mothra turns out to be everyone's friend and you, you know then they team up or then they fight or they do whatever, whatever. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah so next week mm-hmm. hard target or perfect blue
0: what's perfect blue the anime yeah let's do perfect blue
1: all right i've never seen it
0: um never seen it either actually okay so that's a good one and i've always heard good things i heard it's like a giallo but it's an anime i i do believe that perfect blue is part of a series or like a trilogy of films there's a live action too there is a live action um i remember somebody talking about it once a very long time ago in a different life um but no i do think that it's it's that sato i can't think of the director's name i don't know I can pull it off the shelf really quick if you want. It's right here. Do you only have the one? I think it's the only one. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. Saru uh,
1: Wisin Khan did paprika. Satoshi Khan. Okay, there yeah. we go. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I do. I do believe that. I don't know if that they're like all like interrelated. It's not like it's like a trilogy. A loose trilogy. But yeah, it's kind of like like a a thematic trilogy. Polanski's apartment trilogy, where they're not
1: directly connected. Something yeah, probably something like that.
0: Um, you know, less so than like Day of the Dead or uh, Well, Day Day, Dawn and Night are actually.
1: Well, that's a loose trilogy too, but a continuous uh, right. But I
0: think that this is more like Polanski's like a thematic trilogy. Um. Okay. Yeah. So no shitty movie. No. 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 You're not going to torture me with anything.
1: No, I gave you a good movie. He gave a I good gave you two movie. good choices.
0: Because what what Dave doesn't know, is that there are over thirty live action Sailor Moon musicals, movies, and no. I have not seen a single one. If they don't got subtitles. We can't watch it. So he has to think carefully. There are no he wants subtitles. The there are no subtitles. Year.
1: There ain't no subtitles, I can't watch it. Oh, there's subtitles. Uh Uh-uh.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't read. I can't read. I can't read. We just watched a subtitled movie. We're going to watch a subtitled movie next Did you see that review? Of
1: course I (laughs) could. I
0: stumbled through that. All
1: right, we're done. Bye. Bye. Let's get into all these questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. Last week, I basically asked you guys uh, what Shaw Brothers movies you'd like on Blu-ray. I always notice, like, I'm going to address this now. My camera here is always off center. If you know, there's like a crooked thing to it. The floor in this room is not even. So, like, I'm not, I'm not putting the tripod up sloppy. They do have adjustable legs, but it is a pain in the ass to get them right in here, to be honest. And there's not exactly as much room as there may appear to be, because it's filled with all these fucking movies. So, uh, if you do notice, notice a little tilt, it's not on purpose. It's not me being lazy. It's me being a little bit lazy. So, yeah, anyways, let's hop into these questions and all this bullshit. Thanos, 43 Infinity. Mr. Parker, check out The Ballad Ballad of Clarence Bodiger. Awesome heavy metal track for one of the greatest villains in cinema history. Robocop is without a doubt one of the most epic cult classic movies that just seems to come straight from a graphic novel or a comic. It stands on its own. Not going to argue with that. It'll glomit my fingers are crossed that an all-time favorite Shaw Brothers flick, The Master AK-3, Evil Masters, comes out soon enough on Blu-ray. Jason Bovey, you know, I might be way off base here, but I'm starting to get the impression that maybe, possibly, you and Jeremy might have different tastes in movies. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, Eduardo Hernandez Lopez, I know I'm late on the disc rock question, but owning, uh, after owning 5,000 movies, tapes and discs, I have only seen my copy of 13-go Snapcase DVD crap out of me. I watched it many times, and one day it stopped playing through the mid-mark. For CDs, I have a few 9-inch nail CDs that have disc rot, but still work. I specifically remember that my copy of Broken has a black spot on the edge that's grown over the years, but it still works. It's a short release, so it hasn't touched the data yet, I guess ugo uh, piazza i just got the long walk and ode to nothing in the mail myself they both look both look very interesting the ocn distro partner labels are putting out some great so many great titles quickly becoming a one-stop shop for all taste i agree like uh, i do the yearly subscription of vinegar syndrome and i'm like i'm set and I'll, maybe i'll just buy a vsa here and there and a picarama then i get there and i see all these uh, labels and i'm like saturn's core fun city i was like i need all this shit it's like basically still like i thought i was getting out of having to spend a hundred dollars two hundred dollars a month and then they pull me back in but with that yearly subscription if you guys didn't know with that yearly subscription for vinegar syndrome you get 50 percent off msrp from their partner label stuff so like i it's just worth it for that at this point i just bought four titles today on april 1st um i have to date everything because it's not these never go when i record them uh rb i'm going to be a little sad when your 1994 intro comes to an end because the editing you did for this is so good the cranberry zombie is just perfect song to play in the background i enjoyed your other years but this one's just my favorite i think you're really good at editing thanks for the great show as always thank you very much um yeah i i definitely have ideas for some other years i just have them stuck in my head and i've been wanting to do them really bad um (laughs) Uh, yeah. Like, it shows you that like it's probably not necessarily my editing. It's probably the use of a needle drop that we both love, right? I mean, I I've gotten better at editing, I think. And, and just, but uh, it shows you how much like like an advantage. I love Martin Scorsese and, and Quentin Tarantino, two of my favorites of all time. How much of an advantage they have to be able to have that access to music, like to be able to drop you know Little Green Bag, or even though that was his early movie. Let me use like the Rolling Stones in a Martin Scorsese movie because we have so many emotions already directly connected with that song. So when that drops and you hear Sympathy for the Devil and you have De Niro looking evil and stuff and and the Goodfellas, you're like, oh shit, that just like that just seals the deal. But if it was some crappy song none of us have heard of, like, that's good. Maybe it would make that song popular but maybe it would just not be as good a scene. It's just strange. Uh, It just takes a special talent to know when to use needle drops. But sometimes if you get the chance to make your own music video with a song that's very loved, it, it just does a lot of the work for you. But... Ken Coakley, hard-boiled is the most action-packed of all the Chow Young-Fat-John Wu collaborations. The bird cages in the tea house were basically Chinese men-owned pet birds and would take them on walks by carrying the cage with the bird still in the cage. Chow running down the staircase while leaning against the rail, making it look like he was sliding down the rail, is Chow and Wu's trademark of having Chow do something impressive, such as hiding the gun in the plant in the tea house, in a better tomorrow. Chow shooting the two guns while falling down a flight of stairs, and better tomorrow, too, or kicking the table to catch the gun mid-fight and the killer. Anthony Wong is half-white and has a British educational background has always been typecast as villains because of his Caucasian features. Tony Lynn, who played Alan, was in another movie of John Woo called Bold in the Head, which is considered to be a prequel to A Better Tomorrow. Philip K. from the Five Deadly Venoms, like Jackie Chan, went to Peking Opera School thank you so I basically commented back I've seen Wong play lots of different characters and as he goes Tai Lung from A Better Tomorrow was a Shaw Brothers mainstay David Chang who found the most success of the Shaw Brothers actors, was in the movie that John Woo co-directed called Just Heroes with Danny Inferman, the killer Lee and Stephen Chow in the rare dramatic role David Chang's character is a retired triad who works on boats with a young apprentice who wants so badly to be a triad that he quotes A Better Tomorrow you can find it free on YouTube another good gangster film is Days of Being Dumb starring Tony Lian Chow Howe and Jackie Chang How. Whoa. How yow. It's a comedy and also free on YouTube. Thank you. And uh, David Lawrence Graham gives uh, Ken his props. Ken knows a lot about movies. So, uh, Invicus and Thesis. Good update, Zoe. Always. always have a soft spot for Puppet Master. The more I watch them, the more I like them. They have a charm. David Zavala, The Sword Stained. With royal blood, the avenging eagle and assassin, along with a few others, could use a good Blu-ray release. Jason Michael Willard, the brave archer trilogy, the bastard swordsman, Ten Tigers of Kang Tuang, avenging eagle, thunderbolt fist, bat without wings, to just name a few. David Zavala mentions that Ten Tigers of Kang Tuang is getting sh- going to be in shot scope too. Colin Rogers, Ghost Eyes, Hell has no B- boundary, Curse of Evil, Spirit of the Raped, the Daredevils, and avenging eagle, amongst others. Aaron Crothers, Being Human, starring Robert Williams, directed by Bill Forsythe. I don't know if that's Shaw. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a Shaw Brothers movie. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they produced it. I don't fucking know. Um, Nick Moore, how do you have the energy due to do multiple shows, sir? Magic potion? The ability to clone yourself? I don't fucking know, but I'm dying. Seriously though, keep up the good work. As to your Shaw Brothers film, Return of the One Armed Swordsman, seems like a hoot. Questions one: Would sell an arm? Would you sell an arm and leg like for a very special Blu-ray, uh, as in your short of pay, and paying up? Fucking no. Um, Dustin Mills has directed you a number of times. How was it to have him acting and you directing? Oh, to have him acting. It was fun. Um, I know I could count on it. The thing about Dustin is, he's a really good actor. He's thing is, like every time he does something on set, he's probably going to be better than everybody else at it. That's the funny thing. It's just that he nobody else is good at filming or holding the camera or directing as Dustin, so he always got stuck doing that not not necessarily like he's directing his own movies right it's not like we were all sitting there and it was like whoa be the trick no he's directing his own movies it's his idea but when it came to like hold the camera for other shots and stuff like dustin would always have to be like a cameraman on other people's movies because he was better at that than a lot of the other people so he didn't get to act as much but dustin is a very good actor it was easy it was easy you know we have a we're friends so we have a a a small kind of like he understands what i'm saying a lot of times more than most people and uh, I could count on him. He's hes never really done a bad job in anything I've ever seen him do, like for me at least. Um, or anything, really. I mean, I can't judge him on that stuff. I think he's great. Will you be, uh, why don't I have page three? What happened to page three? I didn't print out page three. So therefore, I don't have the rest of your questions. There might be a cut here because I'm going to find them. Because I feel stupid for not having them on there. All right, I'll be right back. I knew something was wrong. Thanks a lot. Um, so, yeah, Nick Mua, will you be purchasing the second Christopher Lee Euro box set? Absolutely. I already pre-ordered it today. Enjoy your day. P.S. I can't wait for the War and Peace. The musical. see you and Jeremy can review it. Uh, no, it's not happening. Simon Lang, Hardboiled is the greatest action film ever made, period. By the way, Sam Raimi didn't co-direct Hard Target. He was only brought in to oversee the production. Oh, like I remember like uh, I really swore I heard he co-directed that, but I imagine overseeing the production he had involved with the editing because I remember hearing like this elaborate story they had. Was it a Killer POV or something? They had Bob Murawski who did a lot of editing for Sam Raimi talked about, you know, the editing of Hard Target and stuff. And There's a lot of Raimiisms in the editing and stuff. So basically misremembering on my end. Okay. Explosive action. Shriek Show was renowned for being rotters, unfortunately. A lot of their old discs. So hopefully a lot of the Asian Media Blaster stuff I picked up isn't fucking rotting. Uh, yeah. So basically, this week's question. Due to all the crazy shit I basically uh, reviewed this Japanese stuff, so I want to know your favorite weirdo Japanese films. Like, preferably in the vein of the guinea pig movies or more so like Gozu, The Thing Forsaken by God, Biotherapy, Cyclops, Gakidama, Cotton, those kind of movies. Contain. Um, like those movies. the uh, Movies in that vein. Mermaid in the Manhole, those kind of movies. That uh, is guinea pig, but different your favorite weirdo Japanese movie. It's like uh, something like Tetsuo the Iron Man or Haruko the Goblin, just off the wall, weird Japanese shit, especially if you haven't seen me review it on here, maybe I'll review it. But uh, yeah, we're going to hop into, oh, before we get out of here, I want to give a Patreon shout out to uh, James Baker. I want to make sure I say his name right. I appreciate your, su- uh, your support and everything like that. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you'll stick around. If not, that's cool too, but thanks. Thanks for uh, April uh, donation, everything like that. So let's hop into this update. All right, let's hop into this quick update so we have mad dog morgan from uh indicator this is a pretty gnarly looking edition here i remember i had the old trauma disc never did watch that sucker so now we have beaten branded brutalized but never broken dennis hopper in this bad boy uh directed by Felipe mora who did the beast within and holling two and three so and a bunch of other stuff too so yeah this one uh, i hear good things about it looks awesome Brand new 2022 restoration of the 1976 Osploitation Classic presented in an individually numbered, strictly limited Blu-ray edition with extensive bonus content, a poster, and an 80-page book. Yeah, cool. I'm a big Dennis Hopper fan, too. And uh, this is one that I always wanted to check out. A lot of special features on there. Next up is Death Game from Grindhouse Releasing. Uh, Yeah, Grindhouse Releasing doesn't put that much out. So when they do put something out, you better grab it because they have a lot of gems in their catalog. Uh, I mean, so this one, I don't think I've ever watched this movie. So, awesome. I'm sure it looks great. And it came with a little butcher knife. Death game. uh, keychain. Cool. Okay, uh, speaking of uh, butcher cl- butcher knives or meat cleavers or whatever the hell you want to call it. We got Meat Cleaver Massacre here from Screen Factory. Now, normally I don't import the exclusive I meant not import, but buy the exclusives from their site. You know, I, f- I was like, man it always bums me out. I was like, they have supposedly have the catalog to Roger Corman. And then they do these exclusives of like these big movies. And I'm like, I really wish I could buy this. And like, I can't just not always cause they drop suddenly. I can't always just spend $26 on one Blu-ray. That is just a standard kind of Blu-ray. So I can't always do it. Although I'd like to, I just don't, but this one meat cleaver massacre was one that I had on bootleg a bunch of times. And it's just a movie that I've always wanted to see. And a lot of times if I have it for a long time, I'll hold off. on watching it until a good release is. So yeah. Um, I always love the cover out here. Um, I know that Christopher Lee has like an opening or something like that. I think he I think he's he's not in like the main film. There's something weird about it. But anyways, I did never think this would get a Blu-ray. So then another one, uh Blood of the Vampire because you don't order one from Scream Factory because you'll pay like $7 shipping. So I ordered another one to get the free shipping and I like these kind of like gothic style horror films, so I ended up picking this one up. Uh, never never seen Blood of the Vampire, so uh and then last we have chocolate which i've heard about slightly completely forgot about saw a clip of it and i was like oh shit that that looks awesome i'm gonna pick this up was this uh, magnolia pictures uh looks like a good movie more brutal than Humbuck. so yeah anyways that is the update let's uh, get back to the video okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one <coughs>